Shall we bow? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to come and, and see how you can reach into our lives and help us that we can be step-by-step step like you. I pray that your spirit will be with us here this morning and that our hearts will be open to hear his voice speaking to us. And Lord, that through all this, we can bring honor and glory to your name. Be with Song this morning too, as, or this afternoon, as he leads out and guide and direct him. And we thank you in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. You had a good lunch? Okay, okay. I skipped lunch. <laughs> and uh, I'm so busy this week, and I'm with the prayer center for, for six hours, and then I'm taking care of one of my friends who came here, and then I'm here. Um, and so I decided to have a big breakfast, skip lunch, <laughs> and have two meals a day, so that might work out today. Um, the scripture for the whole... Uh, five days of series is from Romans chapter 12, verse 2, right? And let's, uh, let's all read this passage together. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this word, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes. It talks about patterns. You know, that's a very, very interesting word. Did you know that in your brain, there's a pathway. It's a pattern. You know, how does the pathway get created? Somebody walk on a shortcut, right? <laughs> and then someone else walk on it, and then you walk on it, and then later on you realize that there is no, there is no grass anymore, right? And so that's how the pathway, the pattern of thinking in our brain gets created. You know, you keep thinking, you keep thinking certain way, you keep more, you know, going about doing it, I mean, thinking it in the same way, and then there's a pathway, there's a pattern that gets created. Mm -hmm. And then God, tell, God tells us that, you know what, healthy thinking, biblical thinking, is not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And how do you... How do you undo what's been done? I mean, in other words, using psychological terms, how do you deprogram from being programmed? <laughs> you know, the, I, had to, I had to, you know, really practice this because, you know, I've been counseling for, you know, uh, some 20-some years, and then when I first started our counseling, you know, when I came home, you know, I would come home with all those burdens of life that people share with me. And then, you know, by the time I got to dinner, I, I lose my appetite. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't even want to eat kimchi anymore, you know? <laughs> and, and I lose my appetite because I am so what? Involved emotionally with it, right? You know what I mean? How can you not being so involved, you know, involved emotionally, you know, uninvolved when somebody just, you know, pour out their hearts onto you, right? Then I came to realize that when you and I, this might be an insight for you, when you and I internalize the anxieties and worries and the problems, even our children's, when we internalize it, we're not really helping them. Right? 
Because none of our children wants to see us what? Being so unhappy about them. Worrying all the time for our children, right? And they're like, Mom, can you just stop worrying about me? And then you decide not to worry, and then you come to realize that you have another worry. You, you worry about worrying too much. <laughs> and there is no win situation on this. You feel trapped in bondage and all that, right? And so it's not going to happen overnight, okay? However, I learned how to deprogram myself. So much so, so much so that it is just crazy sometimes. Sometimes I meet people, okay, and then I've been with these people for over a year counseling, and then sometimes I meet them later on, I don't recognize them. I don't have Alzheimer as of yet. <laughs> but I just deprogram myself so much so that sometimes I forget that I counsel these people. Mm -hmm. So that when I come home, when the garage door opens, what do I do? It's time to what? Deprogram. <laughs> Put all the worries and anxieties, all the stuff that I have to deal with in counseling on the what? On the, on the whatever, the shop that we have, in there, put it on there. And then I, when I come in, I don't come in as a pastor. I don't come in as a counselor. I come in as a what? As a husband, as a father. It took me a long time to learn that. But it is possible to deprogram from being programmed. Amen? It is possible. So don't get discouraged, okay? And we're going to learn this. I mean, we're not going to be able to learn everything in five days. No way. That's my trouble. Every night, like, I, I try to figure out how I can fit as much as I can in five days. So I've been, you know, pushing things around, and I hope you can see that. And I'm really, like, I must love you guys so much. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> not worried, but I'm challenged. I'm challenged because I could come and share the stuff that I shared and then give it to you guys. No, every audience is different. And then you present me, you know, you came yesterday and then showing me your enthusiasm and passion and desire to learn and it just feared me and in such a way that I wanted to give you the best of the best. Even though best is yet to come. <laughs> Amen? Amen. I think we have, this, we have this attunement, which is very important for us. And it's going to be an ongoing thing. I'm going to give you just the, the taste of what could happen. And I actually, I, if you can walk away from realizing how, how exciting and how insightful and how penetrating the power of the gospel is, then, then I have accomplished Amen. the purpose of being here. Amen? I mean, I've been working with people for the past 20-some years, as I've told you, and I've studied psychology for 10 years, and then guess what? I came back to the Word of God. Amen. Because there is nothing like the Word of God. 
I study every day. Every day I study, I learn new things and more things. And the word of God is amazing. You know how you go to the acupuncturist? How many of you believe in acupuncturists? You're not, not, if you go to the acupuncturist and acupuncturist is not feel your person, oh, you have a liver problem. How do they know that? <laughs> but do you know that the Bible has a divine diagnosis? That once you learn this, you can almost diagnose everybody. Okay? I can't believe I'm giving this to you free. I mean, just... <laughs> just Something is not right. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Divine diagnosis that is, uh, that is inclusive for all humanity. How cool that is. Amen? We're going to learn that today. Okay? We have a lot to cover today. You become what you what? Yeah, if you can kind of silence your phone. I messed it up yesterday, too. <laughs> you become what you think. Amen? Amen. Here, okay, we're talking about God's healing in our brain. You remember we talked about four different parts of brain, right? And then there's a, uh, where is an area where, where we get wounded first? Do you remember? Yeah, emotional brain, right? Especially in this what? Limbic system. That's where all the, you know, all the anger and bitterness that you have toward your husband, your wife, and children, and your parents, and your neighbors, and, and everything, you know? And all those, all those junk in your life, sorry, <laughs> gets stored in that limbic system. And that, that, that hard drive is like, it can, it can really store quite a bit. Like 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, it's amazing, you know? And so that's where it gets really messed up first. And then what happens is that when the emotional brain gets wounded, and then what happens? Your thought gets wounded, right? You remember? Love the Lord your God. Well, let's all read this passage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. So which part of the brain are we talking about here when we talk about heart? Emotional brain, right? And then with all your what? Soul. So which part of the brain are we talking about? Soul is brainstem. Brainstem. Okay? And then that's where we breathe. In, where we breathe. And then with all your what? Mind is what? Frontal lobe. And then with all your strength, which is cerebellum. Okay? God is telling us that now God wants us to activate our brain. God wants us to allow our brain to, to be used in such a way that it becomes worship, our brain. Every aspect of our brain, okay? We need to use our brain. <laughs> we need to take our brain to God, amen? Yeah, we need to allow God to, uh, we talked about emotional feelings. We need to take all of our feelings to God. We need to take all of our thoughts and our perspective, our perceptions, our convictions and judgment. How many of you are so convicted about certain way that you look at things? You know what? I figured out about my husband in a way that he has no idea about. I figured him out. <laughs> I know him more than he does next to God himself. <laughs> But you need to give that conviction to God. Amen? Yeah, we need to give that to God. 
We need to give our judgment to God. And that's what it means to worship Him with our thoughts and mind. How about our strength? Every movement that we take, I'm going to use it to love. Amen? You know, one time my daughter came home when she was a teenager. She came home, and I just came back from my trip to Africa. It takes three days to come back. Three days to go there, three days to come back. And I came back. I was more than exhausted. I was ready to sleep. And then that night, my daughter came home. My daughter came to me and, Daddy, I need to talk to you. <laughs> when she was telling me that, my eyebrow was falling down, like so heavy. It was falling down, ready to just pass out right away. And my, I, I told my daughter, did you see my, my eyebrows? Did you see how it is ready to, ready to be gone, you know? And can, we, can I talk to you tomorrow? And my daughter goes, no, daddy, tomorrow may never come. <laughs> Which is true, right? <laughs> I need to talk to you tonight. And I remember the scripture. You have not loved somebody to a point where you, you shed your blood. I said, I'm not going to bleed for doing this. So I literally, I literally had to hold my eyebrows <laughs> to talk to her. And she said, no, we need to go out and, you know, look at the moon. And <laughs> I can't see the moon, but she sees the moon. She said, I need to talk to you. So I went out sitting down. You know, you know woman has a way of, like, <laughs> having to have certain atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be romantic, and it's like, hey, let's clean the house first. Can we focus? No, she can't focus. <laughs> but that night, that night, I was able to have a major, major breakthrough in my relationship with my daughter because because I have chosen to stay up no matter what. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Use your strength to love. And then breathe. Every breath that we take, use it to love. Use it to feel God. Use it to experience God. Use, it to, use, use them to allow God's life to live in, in you. Let's move on. God's healing process occurs. I'm going through a little bit of review. God's healing process occurs in an opposite direction of the process of what? Woundedness. This is amazing. We learned that, right? We learned that. We get wounded. Okay, we talked about we get wounded in our emotion, and then our, our thoughts get wounded, and then we end up you know, growing bitter roots in our lives. Is it like a tree? We are like a tree having so much roots underneath. Some of the roots have been growing for more than, what, 30, 40 years. Can you imagine? And each cell, while the brain has, what, 100 billion cells, each cell can have, what, how many roots? 20,000 roots. Woo! When somebody's been addicted to something for the past, let's say, 30 years, then can you imagine being bitter for 30 years? Your brain might be filled with roots. It's so much so that your brain cannot breathe. 
because it, it needs space to be able to really communicate and all that. But God's healing process is so amazing to me. While we get wounded in our emotion and then we get, you know, we end up having this work thoughts and ideas, but God wants to heal us through God's word. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow. The word of God comes to us in such a way that it gives us the thought system or faith system in such a way that it changes the way we think according to the word of God. And then therefore it reversed the process where he begins to change the way we feel. And then God allow us to build, build a, a root of love instead of root of bitterness in our lives. Amen? Amen. I want to tell you something. If you're a woman, the worst thing that can happen to you, what could be the worst thing that can happen to a woman? Someone can tell me, brave enough to tell me? Losing a child. Hmm? Losing a child. Losing a child, yes. Okay. What else? Worst thing that can happen to a woman? Sexually abused. Sexually abused, right. Okay, all that. But you're not giving me the answer that I'm looking for. <laughs> I may be biased, but yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm not downplaying anything that you says. But I want to tell you, worst thing that can happen to a woman, especially when you're married, especially when you're married, you end up being what? You end up being bitter. You end up being bitter and angry. And which will be eating you up to a core. And you end your life after giving so much and we end up being bitter and angry and all that we don't need. And it will be what? Eating you up. Did you know that the, they did a study, uh, you know, Harvard did a study on people with cancer. They said that if you and I, I'm not saying this to, you know, un, unduly uh, making you to be too anxious, but I want to tell you, the study shows that if you harbor on bitterness and anger and resentment for the next three days, three days, we can, our body becomes so acid then the possibility for cancer just jumps up to more than 75%. Even if you've been eating brown rice or you've been eating, you know, <laughs> you've been eating like Korean, since I'm Korean, like brown rice or you've been eating, eating what, the wheat, uh, what kind of, the, the bread, right? Seven grain bread. <laughs> or, or you've been eating veg vegetables all your life. You know, if you harbor on bitterness and anger and resentment, our body become acid. Mary heart do Yes, that's why the Bible says that, you know what, you can be angry, but what, don't stay angry overnight. <laughs> but usually we don't get angry until we get late and late in the days, and then we stay up angry all night, right? We lose our sleep, right? We lose our sleep. We're going to talk about that. So many women have a problem with sleep. So many. It is amazing. You know, if a man cannot sleep one day, they can't go to work, they have a hard time, you know, staying alive. But woman, 
can go on like that. I've, I've seen people go on like that with a sleeplessness. They can go on for more than 10 years. And they come to me and then they look fine. I mean, you know, not to a degree. It's like, how can they do that? That's why, that's why I know that you think that in the end, men are more powerful? No. Women are amazingly powerful. <laughs> amazingly powerful. That's why they have children. <laughs> Men would get freaked out and walk away, you know. You know what I mean? When you, you know, carry a child, it's like, oh, no, I'm not going to have this. But women, as soon as they have one, oh, I'm going to have it next one. It's amazing. Women are so powerful. But there's one thing that makes women weak. There's something that makes women weak. What would that be? When you're unloved. When you're unloved, you become weak. But are you ready for this? When woman becomes weak because of the nurturing that they need is not there, then watch out. If you withhold loving her, they become weak, but they don't stay weak for the rest of their lives. You remember they're strong <laughs> and they become wicked. <laughs> Whoa. It is, a, it is a weakness that leads to weak, wickedness. It is biblical. I'm going to prove it <laughs> by the end of today. <laughs> okay? And I, I have so many stories about women being wicked. Oh, man, you don't want to go there. It like brings chill in the hottest day of the summer. It's like, you know, when woman chooses to revenge, you want Jesus to come right away. You know. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay. In our brain, okay, we're in our brain. Which department has the final say in terms of providing healing and healthy order in our lives? This is amazing. This is a wonderful news for all of us. Oh, huh? frontal lobe has the final say. Amen? Amen. So if you keep on saying, "I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like being loved. And I, I don't feel, 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 feel." <laughs> then we're not, we're not allowing our brain to its what? Maximum. We're not using our frontal lobe. We're not being led. So this is an amazing, amazing blessing. We need to find ways to allow not only our emotions, but our thought system to be given to God so that the biblical thinking that we embrace in our lives would have the final say in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's why we're studying the Bible. You know, I get so inspired by coming here. Like, I, I see these people in the hallway everywhere I go. Like, they're, some of them might be in their 80s and 90s, and they're like curled up and studying the Bible. I see people in the hallway studying God's word. It just drills my heart to a core. Because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the what? Mouth of God. You will know. You will know what that means at the end of our seminars. Amen? 
We learn the root of the woundedness goes deeper than we think or imagine. Where does it all begin? From our what? Mother's womb. That all begins, you know, right there. Then what do we need to bring healing and restoration in our lives? The pattern, pattern new pattern has been created. A pattern has been created. Pathway has been made. It is unconscious or automatic. That's, that's what makes it really difficult. We want to change. We want to be transformed. But you're like angry to a core. You don't know what to do with it. And then while you make lunch or dinner, and then you're angry. And then when you bring food... You don't bring food gracefully, mercifully. Your action shows that you're angry. You don't know what to do with it. You're sad. You're depressed. We don't know what to do with it. We haven't even started the day. We're already exhausted. What do we do with that? Some of you may identify with that. You know, you want to love your wife, and yet feeling of love is not there. And you become apathetic, and you become tired much of the way that we are being programmed is on a level of unconscious level it's automatic so then this is the key we need to bring whatever there is in an unconscious level to a what conscious level and that's how we begin the journey of healing in our lives. Whatever that's automatic, we bring it to a level where we become not only conscious, we become aware of what's going on. We understand the triggers and so forth. So we'll continue to talk about that. This is crazy. This is a systematic and holistic approach. How many of you believe, how many of you realize that more than 90% more than 90% of marital illness, people come to me and talk about their husband, their wife, who are not there, right? And he's the cause of the problem, she's the cause of the problem, right? Because when I got married, I was perfect, right? <laughs> I mean, I was PK, pastor's kid, right? Perfect kids, right? <laughs> you know, when I got married, I had no problem. I, my life was fine and great. And then as soon as I married, I began to have problems. So I automatically began to think that all the problems must have come from what? Her. Her. <laughs> Little did I know that I had more problems than my wife. I was the one who was more broken than my wife, which I did not know. She's not here, but I'm testifying. <laughs> Amen? And 90% of the marital problem stems from what? Family of origin. We are, we are programmed to look at our, our spouse and our children, our neighbor, certain way. We're programmed certain way. We're perceiving things certain way because of the way we've been patterned from my mother's womb. Trace back to Adam and Eve. And uh, to gain an understanding of the immensity of our issue, it's, it's a daunting task. It, it really takes the Holy Spirit for us to realize those things. You know, I spent about 10 years, more than 10 years, I spent about 15 years working on myself. You know, it can be very painful. You know, I came to a point where I came to realize that 
I couldn't believe, I mean, I couldn't believe, sorry for using this kind of language, but I couldn't believe how messed up I was. I couldn't believe it. And then by the time I realized it, it was already too late because genes had been already passed on to my kids. <laughs> Some of the things that I don't want to see in me, it shows up in my children. I end up hating what I hate about myself in them. Am I the only one? Okay, you don't look like you're... <laughs> don't put on a Sabbath, Sabbath face, okay? <laughs> and, and I want you to join me. And I'm being transparent with you. And almost to a point, and I came to realize how broken I was in my 30s, in my mid-30s, early 30s to mid-30s came to realize how broken I was, and I became so depressed. You know, there is nothing more depressing than to know, you know, it, it is one thing for me to be hurt by someone and be depressed. That's, that's one layer, one level of depression. There's a deeper level of depression. You're depressed for the hurt that you rendered to somebody else. For the hurt that you rendered to your loved one, to your wife, and to your children. Almost to a point where I felt like, what's the point of living? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm studying these marriage and family studies. <laughs> I'm trying to counsel other people. And I'm so messed up. And then my professor were trying to uh, encourage me, you know what? You know what it takes to be a great counselor? To be messed up. That's the beginning point. <laughs> to be messed up, you're having a raw data to work with. You are the source of your research and all that. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Almost to a point where I just didn't know what life was all about. And someone like me, if I, if I can only think about sleeping, I'm already sleeping. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But for me to lose sleep, to deal with the brokenness of who I am, was more than painful. I found myself being prostrated, 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 right? Like, like before God, I mean, I, I went down. I had a house like, you know, in, in, in California, you know, it was like an up, you know, uphill, you know, house. And then it was up and down as a small land. And then, you know, I, I came from third floor, second floor, and then first floor. And then I, I, go, I went down, 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 down to the garage. And then I just prostrated. <laughs> Lord, I can't do it anymore. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm sure even you are challenged. <laughs> it's immense issue. That's why I want to tell you something. Psychology may give you insights toward life, but psychology cannot give us the transforming power. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. You don't want to miss tomorrow.
It's like Korean drama. You don't want to miss tomorrow. <laughs> That's the only thing I learned from Korean drama. You, you got to kind of end it in a way like, oh, man, that guy is being hospitalized. What's going to happen? And it ends right there. You know, somebody like fall down on the cliff, you know, end right there. I mean, you got to watch it right next day. It's just crazy. Sometimes I use that on my sermon. So how does that story end? Well, come next weekend. <laughs> but anyway, you see, I want you to know that in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through God's word, not only there is a healing. What's the amazing thing about that? Not only there is a healing, but also... God uses our brokenness as a way of giving us and creating us and restoring us a sense of calling in our lives. If you know what I'm talking about. Wow. From devastations, from brokenness to a calling. Like a Samaritan woman. She wanted to be isolated. And yet she met Jesus. She went to her town, tell everybody. And then they came to know Jesus. And she became a spiritual leader of that town. That's the kind of healing and restoration God wants to bring in our lives. Amen? Amen. We're going to talk about that. Okay, let's go with the roots of distorted thinking and so forth. There's so much to talk about. So let's begin with three areas of distortion that we may experience in our lives. First of all, there's a distortion in terms of who I am, self-identity. It's really deep, self-identity. We're going to talk more about that tomorrow too. Self-identity, who I am. And then there's a second area of distortion that happens in our lives when we are not in line with the biblical thinking. It's called extreme patterns of relationship. Extreme patterns of relationship. So who I am gets warped. Who I am gets messed up. Who I am gets, uh, you know, distorted. And when I am distorted in terms of who I am, then my relational pattern gets distorted. Mm -hmm. So who I am is so important because it affects the way we connect with other people. And then finally, our life perspective gets affected. Our life perspective gets distorted. That's why biblical thinking in terms of eschatology, healthy eschatology is so important. We're going to talk about that. Life resources, how much resource we have gets, gets distorted. Okay? Let's talk about it. Now, who I am. Who I am is affected by the primary relationship that I have with my parents. Right? My parents being the number one source of providing primary relationship. Okay? And then, when my primary relationship gets distorted, what happens is that we, become, we come to a place where we, become, we are unable to think straight. We're unable to choose what is right and healthy. We're unable to say no to the unhealthy uh, things. And, and life is a vicious cycle. Okay? And then what happens is that when who I am gets distorted, what happens is that, I'm going to tell you a little bit later, but when who I am is distorted, then I become, the Bible says, either, either you and I have, we have two kinds of identity, within, with Christ, without Christ. With Christ, we become sons and daughters of God. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. But today, 
We focus on us being slavery, being in a place of slavery. So without Christ, you and I are in a place of what? Slavery. So some of you may say, I'm not, I'm not in slavery. Well, let me tell you how we can be in a place of slavery. Number one, are we still trying to strive toward approval and acceptance of other people? Then you and I are in slavery. Welcome to the slavery. Okay? And so if I do not know how to say, if I don't know how to say no to other people, how many of you are people pleaser, don't know how to say no, I should have said no, and then you regret about it, and then you, you get mad about that person, <laughs> you know, pushing on you, and then we go through all kinds of trouble in our lives, right? And that's what the nature of slavery is all about. When you and I become reactive rather than proactive, like Stephen Covey talks about in his book, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective People, when you and I become reactive, there's a story, you know, in the situation in Korea. When I was growing up, when I go to school, I mean, there's so many students going to school, so get on a bus is a big deal, it's a battle, if you, don't, if you know what I'm talking about. And it is amazing that when I look at the bus coming, it is already full. You know, bus, you may have seen it in the, in the movies. Bus is coming, it's already full, but you know what? They know how the, the, the driver and the lady on the door is, gets really dangerous, know how to maneuver in such a way, they wiggle the bus here and there, and then just enough to make a room, even breathing room, <laughs> just make enough room, and then the lady opens the door, and then they shut people in. And then you go in there, you suffocate. And then if the next person smells, man, you're in trouble, you know? <laughs> and then you're like, suffocate. And then your bag is over there. One of the legs is over there. <laughs> like, what happens is that, you know, somebody trample on your foot. And then you, well, who trampled my foot? So you trample somebody else's foot. And then everyone's trampling each other's foot. That's what reactivity is all about. You get mad at me, and so I get mad at you. You make me sad, or I, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sad, or I'm making you sad, and I'm going to retaliate. You know what? Reactive, being reactive, being in a place of being reactive and blaming others for the way we respond to them, that allow us to be in a life of what? Slavery. Let me tell you some of the patterns of slavery. Do you find your emotion, do you find your anger, emotion, gets escalating without you even realizing it? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? <laughs> and that escalation, that's a sign of slavery. Put down. You find yourself being put down, so you end up putting down somebody else, and then you allow that, that vicious cycle to get worse and worse and worse. One lady came up to me after the seminar. It's amazing how people come to seminars like this, and then they're like writing down all these things, not for themselves, for the spouse who's not here. <laughs> and the one lady came up to me and said, after the seminar, she, she's a very fair looking lady in, in her 30s. And then, Pastor, that vicious cycle that you were talking about, that's me. It's like, whoa, you don't look like that. <laughs> and then she goes, let me tell you something. My husband, when he gets mad at me, and then he goes around and starts destroying the cheap stuff in the house. Stuff from the Kmart. 
But when I get really mad, I end up destroying the most expensive stuff, like his computer. And then I had a chance to go over their house to make the long story short. They're in this vicious cycle of reacting to each other in such a way that it became inhumane. How do you break that vicious cycle? We're going to talk about that on Thursday. So now you have to come on Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Arguing with each other. Arguing with children. How many of you argue with children and then you go to God and you can't pray? Have Have mercy. Sometimes we become so unhealthy. I mean, I've been there too. Sometimes we get so unhealthy that this time I'm going to like discipline my child. I'm going to show her or show him. I need to be careful. I need to be neutral. I need to show that I'm the boss. I'm the one with authority. And then we trample their spirit to a point where while we think that we're winning, but we're actually destroying both of us. Argument doesn't get you anywhere, right? I have a story to tell you. Mothers should learn this. So you tell your daughter, take out your trash. So you're my parents. You tell me, okay? You tell me. So you tell me. Mom, I did it yesterday. Take, just keep on saying take out the trash, okay? Mom, you know, how come I'm the only one who's doing it? Mom, I'm going to do it later. Mom, okay, okay, I'll remember. Okay, I'm going to do it, okay, I'm going to do it. It's like, oh. Actually, mothers can use the sound like a broken record. Take out the trash, 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 take out the trash. You don't need to what? Argue. You don't need to argue. And that is much more powerful than if you don't take out the trash, no dinner and nothing. I hate Syria. I hate, you know. Then you fight with kids and argue with them and you take them to the bathroom and, okay, how many spanking you deserve? I was there, man. I was trying to spank my child when, when the, my child was little. And then this, this child got to a certain point when I was about to spank this child. This child looked at me eye to eye and said, Dad, didn't you know that spanking doesn't work for me? <laughs> I was like, well, you need more spanking. But... <laughs> But, but the little voice, the Holy Spirit started to tell me, you know what, I hate to tell you that she's right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we spank our kids like out of anger, but then in words like, you know how much I love you? I'm spanking you because out of love, it is hurting me so much. And like, you're right, you're right, you're right, right. Until I become parents, man, wait. <laughs> No argument is needed. Somebody tried to argue with you, just like, 
Don't argue. Don't argue. Don't get sucked in. But once you get sucked in, we become a what? Slave. Slave. Either to somebody else's anger or your own anger. It's like, I can't believe this person is accusating me this way. Man, I have all the proofs and all the evidences. You know, I can't be quiet. No. Brother and sister, honey, we better not talk. Sometimes I have to send texts on somebody. You know what? Out of all respect, I chose not to engage in a discussion about this with you anymore. Please, respect. End. If somebody in your, sp your spouse tried to argue with you, fight with you, hey, 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 I'm not denying you. I'm not rejecting you. Don't just walk away. Man has a tendency to just like walk away and then they don't come back until they get hungry and they need to go to sleep. <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. If you walk away, that's the worst thing you can do to your wife. You're like, she feels rejected. So before you go, I say, hey, honey, it's not going to work. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not denying you. I'm not, you know, doing all that. But I need some time because I don't want to be mad at you. And you say, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> Whatever the way you can get away from being in that messy and fiery place where we all been to. Amen? Yeah. yeah. And then you come to Michigan camp meeting, you can't pray, you know? Yeah. It affects us. It takes a long time for us to heal from that. Taking it too personal. You know what? Human dysfunction works in such a way that anything dysfunctional, anything dysfunctional tends to be extreme. Very interesting. Anything dysfunctional tends to be extreme. What I mean by that is this. Either we become overly, overly sensitive, okay, that's a problem, or we become what? Apathetic. You don't feel anything. So either way, either you become oversensitive, apathetic, can be a sign of unhealthiness, and then that really, you know, just being part of the life being, you know, slavery. Passive aggressive. Whoa, some people don't even argue with you, don't even say that they're not going to do it, but they, they're quiet. Those are the ones who like, watch out. They're winning all the time. You think that you're raising your voice and you think that you're winning, but they're, they're those quiet ones, those little lambs, those, you know, those ladies who doesn't say anything, they're like deep in their heart, they resolve. You see who's going to win in the end. <laughs> then the fiery ones lose to someone who's like stubborn at the core but doesn't show it. It's interesting. Offensive or defensive. This is, this is interesting. I need to share this. Our patterns of now we're getting into patterns of relating in that when who I, who I am gets warped in that we become a slave like the Bible says. Slave to sin and slave to self. Slave to self-absorption. Slave to gratifying self. You can name it in any, any way you want. But, you know, the idea of slavery is there. 
And then there's two kinds of slavery, which is a patterns of relating that can become a, that shows up in an extreme manner, okay? One would be, show, would be showing up in a way that, that you become so dependent on the other and you become so bonded with the other to a point where you have no sense of self. And when you do that, what happens is that you know, when you get so dependent on other people for your own sense of value, then we become what? Self-persecutory. We end up pitying ourselves, think too lowly of ourselves, or lack of healthy self and false humility. You know what I'm saying? False humility. But then on the other hand, while this side has too low of self, but here is what? Too much of what? Unhealthy self. So this side is too low of a healthy side, but too much of an unhealthy side, then we exaggerate self, inflated ego, think too highly of self, too much of unhealthy self and pride. And all of this comes down, boils down to a place where you become what? Bondage in yourself. And that's called, that's called bondage that, that we're going to talk about a little bit later. And so either way, you don't want to exaggerate yourself. You don't want to put yourself to a pedestal. You don't want to you know, put yourself to, to a place where, where it's not really you know, you know, realistic about who you are. But or, or on the other hand, you don't want to be a place where you trample yourself down to a point where you become like a doormat. And either way, it's not a healthy place to be. But it all begins with a life of slavery. I must tell you this one from my own experience. I'll tell you this one, okay, this one, very, very important. Here, this is Asian way. This is Asian way of connecting. And then that is Western way of connecting, you know, generally speaking. Did I tell you yesterday? And this way, you have so much bonding to a point where you become like a sticky rice, you know what I mean? Yeah, you get stuck together, and then, you know, my mother would pack me a sticky rice for lunch, like brown sticky rice. Oh, that's the worst kind. <laughs> because my mother packed me brown sticky rice. It takes like a couple of hours for her to make it back then because she didn't have a pressure cooker. So every morning, 5 o'clock, I would hear this, this sound because you would make a brown rice you know, within a pot, within a pot. You put two pots, you know, boil the water and make that sticky rice. It takes about four hours. And she makes that, and then I take it to school. By the time lunch comes up, and then I, I use my chopstick to try to scoop up some rice, the whole thing came up. <laughs> it became a rice cake. <laughs> there is no individuality. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and so that's what I'm talking about. You become too bonded to a point where you become what? Enmeshed. Just like a sticky rice. Then you become dependent. Then you become desperate. You are driven by the fear of rejection or dislike. You ended up staying with someone who's not good, with, good for you. I mean, I'm talking about like dating. Like somebody come up to me and say, Pastor, how come, I mean, for sorry for using this kind of language, how come I end up always dating the losers? Well, maybe, um, number one, lack of self, lack of self-identity. And then you allow your self-identity and self-values to be 
dependent on somebody's liking or acceptance too much to a point where you cannot let go what's unhealthy for you. And we become dependent and less than what you deserve or need. No individuality, place of suppression, lack of self-identity, unhealthy bonding, no boundaries, no boundaries. You know, when I was growing up in Korea, it's kind of funny. You know, now I, now I learn about Korean culture. I grew up in Korean culture. I came here to learn about American culture. I don't know who I am. <laughs> you know, like, funny thing is that I went back to Korea to meet up with my friends. I don't feel comfortable being there. It's funny. I'm not Korean anymore. You know, like, if you're Korean, like, you bow down, and then you always, like, greet people. Man, if I'm truly Korean, I go to Korea, spend, like, two weeks of vacation greeting everybody. That's all you do. You go and greet these people. If you don't do that, they get mad at, hey, son, you came silently. You went back silently without seeing me. They get mad. So I don't know who I am. I'm, I'm not Korean. I'm not American. And there's a word for it. I'm Comerican. <laughs> but, but I want to tell you that I'm not here to promote Korean culture nor American culture because either culture, all human culture is incomplete, has its limitation, nothing is superior than the other, and we are not here to promote any of the human culture. We are here to promote the image of Christ. Amen? Amen. Which doesn't necessarily go against of human culture, but it goes beyond the human culture. You know what I mean? And that's why if I have conflict with my, you know, my wife, when I got married to her, I got cheated. I mean, I said, whoa, what do you mean? Well, I got cheated and she got cheated too. So we made it equal. <laughs> I thought my wife was more Korean than she was. Because when you're dating, you behave like that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah you know? And then, and then when, when, when I was looking, so I thought she was more Korean than she was, and she thought I was more American than I was. <laughs> so when you get married, what happens? Like, do I follow American way or Korean way? Well, I'm a man, so you should follow Korean way. And we get, whoever makes more money, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... The way to resolve human conflict is not found in human values. Human values are already conflicting. And the only way to find resolution when it comes to human conflict is to be driven by the higher value, which is the value of God, which is the image of God. Amen? Amen? And the image of God tells us that, hey, God created Adam and Eve, what, our image and his image, our image, and that's, that's, that's weism there. But, and yet, he created Adam and Eve independently. So, this is crazy, right? Two in match, there is no individuality. And then, I'm going to tell you a little bit later what happens when this system doesn't work out. It's very, 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 very dangerous. On the other hand, independent, okay, in the name of independency, right, by the age of 18, you get out of the house, right? And so, in the name of independence, to a point of what? Isolation. Too much boundary with no bonding. Fear of hurt and trust. Fear of commitment. Cold, apathetic, lack of understanding. No empathy, survival mode. No generosity, lack of grace. And that's why Korean people, when it comes to food, everything, they have to make everything like funny. They have to make either everything so hot 
temperature hot to a point where you burn your tongue. But being able to eat that without, you know, burning your tongue, that's a skill. <laughs> but the funny thing is that as cold as winter day, you, so on a, on a hot summer day, you use something really hot to fight the hot weather. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> because when you're hot on a summer day, you eat something hotter than the hot weather. You come out, oh, wow, weather's chilly, whoa. <laughs> and then on a cold winter day, you eat something colder, like, a, like a cold noodles. And then you even put ice in it. It's like Koreans are crazy. Right? It's like, da, 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 you're eating that right? You know, you know, naengmyeon or the, 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 the noodle, and then you come out, oh, weather is not that cold. <laughs> so funny, anyway, anyway. <laughs> anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is this. This is, this is really, really, really interesting. I want to tell you, I'm going to just tell you this. My mother's family were in this place. They were all enmeshed in the name of bonding. They love each other. They're willing to die for each other. They exist for one another. But very tragic thing happened in our family. You know how, how in Chinese word, human being is like this. This person is what? Dependent on the other person. I mean, this, this person is dependent, right? You have to like, you know what I'm saying? It's very dependent, dependent kind of you know, it's really telling. And so my mother was the one. My mother had a younger brother and then younger sister and then youngest brother and then my mom. He was, he was so young to a point where he was a little bit older than me. So my mother, even when my mother's father died my mother took over the caring role you know role and so she even raised him up we grew up together and then tragic thing happened when my mother turned 41 she died of a liver cirrhosis she was a pastor's wife you know when i was growing up i thought being 41 was old but the man, when I turned 41, I was like, what? <laughs> my mom died at my age? I couldn't believe, I couldn't fathom. But anyway, my mother died. That was a big scar in my life, big void in my life, because I was 17 and my youngest brother was only 12. But anyway, when my mom died, what happened? You know what happened? When they were so emotionally dependent on my mother for everything. You know what I mean? She was the source that glued the family together. So when she died, her younger brother, who was faithful in the church, ended up out of depression, ended up drinking. And then he died of liver cirrhosis. A couple of years later, no one knew about it. No one, this is a crazy thing. No one knew about it in Adventist church. He died of drinking. You can't even talk about it. You can't even talk about it. And then my youngest, my, 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 my uncle, youngest brother of my mom, internalized the, that tragic, tragic death of my mom. 
thinking that it was him giving her the burden of having to take care of him. You know how our brain can get so distorted? To a point where like, I killed my sister. I killed my sister. He carried that woundedness so long and then he ended up having stroke. Now he barely walks. And so she died, he died, my grandmother died of pain, and then my you know, aunt is the only one who is healthy out of all. I don't know how she ended up being so healthy. She's like, I can't believe this family. <laughs> I mean, my sister died, but why do we all have to bury with him, with her? I'm going to choose life. And so what happened is that when you become so enmeshed and dependent, what happened is that when the source of dependency is gone, then the system collapses. And you might say, hey, that's why Western culture is better. Right? Hey, you know, that, that Asian culture, that's crazy. You know, everyone dies together. No, I don't want to be there. I don't want to die. I'm glad I'm not Asian. You know, I'm, not, I'm glad I'm not eating sticky rice. Exhaust the whole system slowly for surely. It is just sucking the energy out of the system slowly but surely to a point like the balloon. Let's talk about Western culture in a place of detachment. Problem with detachment is that it does not seek what? Outside help. It's like Home Depot mentality. I can do it myself. <laughs> and then no feedback is needed. Lonely Ranger type, right? Even family members, I mean, you, you take independence so far that even family members don't even aware of the crisis. You find out after someone in the family dies and then you go there and this person's been there by themselves for so long and no one has called and not to blame anybody. But when you are in that place of isolation, man, that's, that brings a crisis too. Let me tell you about something since we are on this, on this issue of resources. Very, very important lesson. Sometimes, sometimes I want you to contextualize when I say certain things because I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to be misunderstood. Sometimes we spiritualize things too much to a point where we going to God as a cop-out, as an escape. You know what I'm talking about? All I need is what? God. That can be dangerous. That can be dangerous. All I need is God and His second coming. I just want to go to heaven. That's all I need. That can be dangerous. Why? Because of what I'm about to share. There, was, there were two gentlemen. There were two gentlemen who were equally bankrupt. They both were bankrupt. 
their economic situation, educational background were similar, and the business pursuit and everything were similar, and then the devastation, the kind of devastation they had to endure were similar, and then they both were in a case where, you know, unfortunately, their wives left. You know, when you're bankrupt, your wife leaves. I mean, you know, that's the worst thing that can happen. And yet, the way they respond to the crisis were totally different. One person, A, became isolated, like detached, being detached. You know, just persecuting self and blame everything on self or others, being angry, sad, and all that. And then within a year, this person developed terminal illness and he died. I don't want to burden anybody else. It's better for me to go. And yet this person realized that he does not have the resource within to get him out of there. That's an important understanding. You see, there's a time for us to seek help. And our, as for us to seeking help is a godly thing to do. Amen? Amen. And so this person sought out help, and guess what this person did? You know, I don't want to be isolated, so he ended up making schedule with all these people around. Monday, I'm going to meet this person, Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and then we're going to have lunch with these people. I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get involved in a small group. Within one year, he started to get back on life. And, and the one thing I didn't tell you, they both were millionaires. And this guy ended up becoming a millionaire again. And I'm not talking about being a millionaire, that's a success. I mean, but he was able to be healed and be restored because he was able to withdraw, he was able to get the resources that were what? Outside of it. And many of our issues, I want to tell you, Many of the times, the, the, the issue is that while, the, while we do not have the resource that would cure within, we're trying to do something else, trying to overcome it, trying to rescue ourselves while we keep on doing the same thing. And that's a kind of sign of insanity, isn't it? Maybe it is time for, it, for us to seek out help, go outside of our boundaries to get help and so forth. What time is it? 3.10? Okay, so we have five more minutes. And Are detached people more likely to seek help than those who are enmeshed? Those who are enmeshed, the issue that hinders them from seeking help is a sense of shame. Sense of shame. Because I do not want to be open to somebody else to put my entire family to shame. And so the counseling is a taboo. Being open to somebody else is taboo. And so there's so much secret within that, you know, in mass, the system. Do you know that, that that's because of what? Sense of shame. Shame. And there's a story about like Asian people when they, when they go to the bath. Have, how many been to the Korean sauna or Asian sauna? You've never been to Asian Korean sauna? 
Okay. Korean sauna. It's a salon. Sauna. Salon. Salon. Yeah. Sauna. 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 Sorry, I'm still Korean, okay? Yeah. I just had kimchi yesterday, so. So sauna. Sauna. Okay, now in a sauna. Okay, I'm learning. I'm learning. Okay. I'm not embarrassed, but I'm learning. Okay. Sauna. Sauna. So it's funny. You go to the sauna, and then when you go to Korean sauna, you know, men are on their own, women are on their own. You take off everything. Funny thing happened. One day, I went to somewhere, and then one of the elders take me to the sauna. Sauna? Sauna. Okay. It's like film. It's really hard. Sauna. So I went to the sauna, and then with him, I went into sauna. So we were in this hot tub, like, you know, sizzling and like almost losing your mind, you know. It's like, who can endure more, right? And they were sweating like crazy. And then one Filipino guy was up about to come in. I could never, I would never forget, just come in with his uh, swimming suit. And then there was one Korean gentleman, like an older guy, looked at him, hey, 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 take off your pants and come in. <laughs> <laughs> and then he took off like as if there's no tomorrow. It's like, whoa, 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 I can't do that. And he took off and I, I, I never saw him again. <laughs> and then funny thing is that funny thing is that in Asian culture, when you're shamed, when you're shamed, first thing you do, let's say, let's say, you know, sauna has a fire and then the wall come down and then everybody come out naked. That's one reason you don't want to go to sauna, maybe. But <laughs> anyway, so everybody come out naked. Then what happened to Asian people is like they, what do they do? Is that they hide their face. <laughs> while, while the Western people, they hide their private part. And then Asian people are hiding their face. Because for Asians, for Asians, face-saving is so important. <laughs> face-saving. Face-saving. So they don't want to open up. They don't want to be naked in front of other people. I mean, I mean not in sauna, but you know. <laughs> so what happened is that, what happened is that because of shame, which is true to Western culture to a degree too, because of shame, you try to mask things and you know you cover up things and then you ended up having so much secrets. Did you know that shame and secret work together as a team? Do you know how to break the shame pattern in our lives? This may be a lesson in and of itself. How do you break? The long, you know, like generation, multi-generational shame. And there's a secret. You should never talk about it. We don't talk about it. I study on shame, and I found some fascinating things about shame. Is that once you and I learn to be courageous enough to be open about your shame, so that it is no longer a what? Secret. 
and then shame goes away. Amen? Amen? Of course, you don't have to announce it to a whole Michigan conference. I mean, you don't have to like, you don't have to tell the whole world. You know what I mean? That's not what I'm saying. I need to qualify it. You know what I mean? Otherwise, we'll start going around, hey, let me tell you, you know, about my secret, you know? No, that's not the way to do it. But you need to do it in a place where you feel safe and secure. How do you create a place of security and safety? Very, very important. We all need to have this. You create a place of security and safety when you are able to be, you are free to be vulnerable without feeling shamed or guilt-ridden. Isn't that amazing? You can be open, share about yourself. You know, that's how husband and wife needs to be. I tell you, husband, I have a secret to tell you. And the husband, don't, don't tell me, don't, I don't want to know. But when you're able to talk about it, even though it hurts, you're able to embrace each other in a way that you're not put down, shamed, or you know, labeled as someone who's guilty and judged. Every one of us, in order, this is a challenge. I wish we could just go to God and be healed. It's not that simple. In order for us to be healed, in order for us to come out of the closet, in order for us to be free from shame and guilt in our lives, we need to be courageous, one thing, but we also need to have a safe haven, the place where you can be yourself without being shamed. And you know what? Uh, Genesis chapter 2 tells us that Adam and Eve were naked, and yet they were not what? Ashamed. Like being in sauna, you know? We need that experience in a small group. We need to have that with somebody in your life where you can be safe enough to be who you are with all the hang-ups, with all the makeup. You can set it aside, and then you can be vulnerable to one another and then share our weaknesses to one another. Time is up, so uh, tomorrow I'm going to have to talk about our three spiritual conditions, which I was going to talk about. I couldn't finish it, but tomorrow we're going to have to do that. And then three important, um, you know, brokennesses that, that we, we have to deal with. And so let's just end with prayer. Let's end with prayer. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your interest in this vital issue of life. Lord, we come to, we're coming to realize the challenge that we have to deal with, with our inner self, with the relational brokenness and dysfunctions that, that we have been given to deal with, is beyond what we can handle on our own. But the amazing thing is that though we are weak on our own, while each of us are representing a sense of incompleteness and imperfections, but when, when, when weak people like us coming together in the name of Jesus and learning to be courageous enough to create the safe haven for one another and to be open and to come together, and you bring healing in our lives, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for giving us the tools that we can use to bring your healing into our lives. And I pray that you would give us the courage you would give us the wisdom. You would give us that grace that we need in order for us to really, truly, truly experience the freedom that comes 
with knowing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives, Lord. May we be healed by your power in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.